Whom of you were not here last week? Um, I just want to say you missed out because last week Andre preached and it was the Sunday for miracles, healings, and supernatural provision. This Sunday we're going to do something different. It's the Sunday for repentance and... Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> yes? <laughs> no. Uh, Andre preached a really good word. And if you missed it, I fell that online forward slash sermons. But we are in our series called Revival, and one of the things in the series called Revival that I'm trusting for is that these two rows will not be cursed. Okay, um, no one spits there, I promise you. <laughs> You're allowed to sit in this gap. But um, whom of you are expectant for Revival to come? Okay, thank you, Heinrich. Anyone else? That is... Um, Come on, yes. Anyone there at the back? All right. You let me have that. Opat Aitis. All right. Sorry, excitement. Great. Now, um, if Jesus was to say to you, I want revival to start tomorrow, what would you expect that to look like? Because we can get hyped up and say, woohoo, revival, and then we don't really know what that is. And then you might even miss it when it's gone right in front of you. So last week, Andre read from Isaiah 11, and he spoke about this, this prophecy about the Messiah that will come, but then in his rulership, there's a certain effect that his reign will have on creation. And one of the pictures that he sp spoke about was the lion and the lamb eating grass together. Um, and that's like almost like on the furthest scale of what we think is humanly possible. I am... Um, I'm coming to terms with the fact, uh, Andre, that um, there might not be as much meat in heaven. So we're eating a lot of meat now. <laughs> um, but it almost puts these two extremes. Now, if you were to think of two people and you're like, those two people on the same dinner table for Christmas, there's no way even in hell. <laughs> That's what revival can look like. That revival is able to bring restoration to the places where we think it's humanly impossible. Those circumstances that we think there's no way that this thing can break. That thing in your life that you say, there's no way, I've tried everything, there's no way that that can lift. Revival has the ability to come and transform what reality looks like. And it is preparing us for eternity. Andre spoke about the ministry of Christ being the example of revival. If we want to know what revival looks like physically and practically, we read about the ministry of Christ. And that is a foreshadow, a foretaste of eternity. But God has this plan for revival to fall on the earth. Anyone excited for revival? All right. Um, how it works is you sing a couple of good songs, two fast ones, two slow ones, um, <laughs> and then more or less revival breaks through. No, that's not how it works. But before we continue, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be in your presence, and we thank you that we can freely worship you tonight. Lord, as we were able to express worship unto you through song just now, Lord, we want to honor you for that. We want to honor you that you've gifted us with talents, some more than others, when it comes to singing your praises, Lord. But we want to honor you tonight that we get to declare the praises of our King. We want to thank you, Lord, that you visit us. We want to thank you that you are in our midst. We want to thank you that your attention is towards us. 
Right now, in this moment, Lord, you are mindful of every single one of us individually and corporately. Your thoughts are inclined towards us, Lord Jesus. And right now, in this moment, Lord, we want to fix our gaze all the more upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Come and stir in our hearts, Lord, a desire for the things which are not possible by human hands. Come and stir in us, Lord, an expectation for you to move on the earth like we've never seen before. Amen. Amen. So a couple of keys about revival before we go into the text. Um, Revival is a supernatural act or work of God. Now that's good news because it means we cannot do it in our own accord. And here's another reality. Some of you would call yourself a good Christian, and most probably you really are, but none of us are holy enough to warrant that God would visit us. He does that because he chooses to, and because of what he has done for us through the blood of Jesus. But none of us can say, Lord, we have done a lot of really good things, and therefore this warrants that you visit us with revival. God does it. It's a supernatural act or a work of God. It's not by human hands. It's not made by human impression. It's not something we unlocked because we said the right thing, we prayed the right scripture, or we sang the right song. We can pray every single day as a church for the next 10 years, and God will still choose to not um, pour forth revival, or he will do it because he chooses to. It's a supernatural act of God. Revival is in accordance with God's sovereign will. So God has a purpose in mind, and when he brings about revival, it's in line with his sovereign will um, over all of creation, with all of eternity in mind. So we cannot manipulate God into doing something that we want. Revival is in accordance with his sovereign will. And the endearing revival, and this should excite you as well, During revival, the supernatural invades the natural, and we get to see miracles taking place. Some of you would like to see more miracles. The Word of God says that the preaching of the Word will be accompanied by signs and wonders. Sometimes we have signs from the back that shows you the time, and then I wonder how did we get there. Okay, that's my only joke for today. Thank you, Dylan, for being my renter crowd. Signs and wonders. (laughs) Friends, that we will have an expectation that God will visit with us, that the supernatural will invade the natural. And I hope that as you are here tonight, this late afternoon, that there are some impossibilities in your heart that you require God to show up in, that there are certain things that you cannot break in your own power or by your own will, and you need God to show up. Anyone like that? I'm there. Now, um, last night, maybe between 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning, Andre, after I sent you a message, God changed the sermon a little bit. (laughs) It was a good time. It was a good time. But um, Andre mentioned last week that revival requires um, a revelation of who God is. And tonight, we're going to speak about revelation of God, the Father a bit, next week, the Son, and the final week, the Holy Spirit, 
but there needs to be a revelation of who God is, and that will bring about a type of revival that might flow over into revival. Now, where there is a deep revelation of who God is in your life, it will put certain things into place. It will pull certain things into perspective when you have an accurate view of who God is. Now, in the the Bible, we see a couple of things of the heart of the Father. And the one is in John 3, the Father sent the Son. In John 14, the Father sends the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 and Joel 2, we see that it is um, that He pours out His Spirit in the last days. And then in John 16, Jesus prays to the Father, and He prays this prayer and says, Father, I have done the work that You have given me to do, and I have now given this work to these disciples. But I've done the work, Father, that You've called me to do. And now, Father, I pray that these people, these disciples, might be one as You and I are one. And Jesus said that no one can come to the Father except through me. There is something about the revelation of the Father that is needed for you and I to have an understanding and an expectation for what revival needs to look like in our lives, but also in the world we live in. That the Father's heart is geared and directed towards pouring out revival over the earth. That is His desire. And I said earlier that... um, Jesus' life is the practical application or manifestation of what revival would look like. And the disciples had this privilege to spend time with Jesus physically, and they watched His life, and then they saw something on His life, and they had the opportunity to ask Him um, almost like anything. But they saw something in His relationship with the Father that they asked Him, Jesus, would you teach us to do what? To pray. There's something that they saw on Jesus' life in his relationship to the Father when he stepped into that prayer closet, wherever that was, to say, we want what you have. Would you teach us to pray? I'm going to quickly take us through that. Um, it starts in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, and you can follow on the board. Jesus says, in this way you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name, magnified be your name, set apart be your name, different be your name, greater than any other name, greater than any other thing, hallowed be your name, holy be the name of God the Father. She's teaching us that there is a position for God the Father. And when we place God in His rightful place to say, Father, Your name is holy. You are holy. You are separate. You are different. The moment you and I do this, we fall into our position of being subject to God. We are not on par with God. Those of you who are in a connect group will know that the very first chapter in the one-to-one is called God. Because we need to have a right understanding of who God is and who He is not. And when you and I place God in His rightful position, you and I fit into our rightful position. That we are subject to God. We are not God. We do not get to dictate God. We do not get to um, give directive to God as if we are on par with Him. 
There's this paradox in Scripture where we get to be called friends of God. But friends of God, let's not become familiar because we are subject to Him who is holy. Then He says, we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, Your kingdom come at the cost even of my kingdom. Your will be done at the cost even of my will. Lord, I'm placing your kingdom and your will above everything of my life. Again, putting ourselves in the right position, subject to God. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, Lord. Come and work your kingdom. Now, that's a a prayer that invites God to move into our lives where there might be certain things that need to be displaced. If you want to be filled up with the kingdom of God, if you want to be filled up with the will of God, then there might be certain things that need to be displaced out of your life so that the will of God and the kingdom of God can take its rightful position in your life. It's an invitation for that exchange to take place. Lord, not my will, not my kingdom, not my agenda, not my desires, yours. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, You see, the moment you and I place God in His rightful position, again, we are subject to Him and we declare our dependency on God. Lord, You are our provider. Now, sometimes we think ourselves smart and we say, yes, God is the source, but I work really hard for my money. (laughs) And um, therefore, I have food on the table and a roof over my head because You can spend time with me during the week and you'll see I work really, really hard. Now, friends, when God is in His rightful place, all of the things that you and I get to do, all of the things that you and I have is a grace gift from God. If God was to remove His grace from our lives, then we would be found very, very lacking. We acknowledge, Lord, Give us today our daily bread. We are dependent on you for our sustenance. We are dependent on you for our existence. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's an invitation to forgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us as we have forgiven those who have wronged against us. Now, at the cross of Jesus, forgiveness was made available in its fullness to you and me. But there's an experience of forgiveness between you and God that will be lacking when you withhold forgiveness from another. To the extent that you show forgiveness, will you walk in forgiveness between you and God? That full forgiveness is available because of what Christ has accomplished. But to the extent that you withhold forgiveness, you keep yourself in bondage. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive those who have wronged us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's this declaration that we speak to the Father and say, Father, thank you that you lead us not into temptation and that you deliver us from the evil one. Now we get to read Matthew 6 in retrospect with the cross. How do we know that God's desire for you and me is not to fall trapped to the enemy? How do we know that His desire for you and me is not to succumb to His attempts over your life? How do we know that God's desire for you and me is not to be wronged by the schemes and the plans of the enemy that are very real? Because He defeated Him on the cross. 
that Jesus gave himself so that there is a victory over sin and temptation available to you and me. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a simple prayer. Um, sometimes when I read Matthew 6, I would have thought, like, could have elaborated on other things. How should we pray for, um, like, stuff that's also real in our lives? And obviously the rest of the Bible gives us some instruction. But in some parts, this prayer that Jesus gives us feels insufficient. But when you spend time on it and you pray into it, you'll find that it is sufficient for everything that pertains to life and godliness. As it starts with our approach to the Father, Father, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. And this puts God in his right place over our hearts, like Jan mentioned earlier as well, and it puts us in our right place. And from that position, our hearts can be geared for revival. Are you guys ready for revival? Okay, this is the scripture that God gave me early this morning. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 14. So in the scripture, it speaks about the, the promise of revival. And 2 Corinthians 7, 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So it gives us this incredible promise of revival. And if you go and read just up on the context in that scripture, there was a lot of rebellion, there was a lot of disobedience, there was a lot of um, oppression and persecution. But then God gives them this invitation with a promise that He will hear from heaven. That is a great hope, friends. That God promises that He will hear from heaven. That your prayers will not be remain unanswered. That your prayers will not go lost somewhere. That God will hear from heaven. I hope that stirs something in your heart to continue to pray, to continue to ask. That God will forgive and cleanse from sin. That God will do a work that will forgive our, us our trespasses that will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And again, this is a hope for you and me because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves from our sinful nature. I've never read a story where someone with a heart problem put themselves on the operating table and they gave themselves open heart surgery. Anyone? Yeah, maybe they tried, but it wasn't successful. Because the reality is we cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. There's a lot of self-help books out there, but they all fall short, but they cannot change you. But God says, I will do a work and I will hear from heaven. I will um, forgive your sin and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I will bring healing over the land. What an invitation that the Father gives us, that He will bring healing over the land. I'm watching that video and just being stirred of the, the depths of poverty in our nation. We have one of the most in, inequality, greatest inequalities in South Africa um, in the world, between the rich and the poor. And there's a brokenness in our nation. Just thinking about South Africa, there's a brokenness in our nation 
that something about that reality should sit heavy on your heart and say, Lord, this is not right. There are things happening in this country, Lord, that is not right. Um, and if you have such a type of burden, then the social responsibility is the place where you get to express some of that. But there should be something weighing on our hearts to say, Lord, this is not right. But then God gives us this promise that he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sin and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And he will heal the land. Whom of you want some of that? <laughs> Amen. Now we need to understand that when we ask for revival, we are not asking for every nation. When we pray as a church for revival, we are not um, praying for every nation, that God will bring about um, revival in this building. We're not praying about every nation in this city. We're not praying about every nation as a global family of churches, although I'm really thankful that we get to be part of a family of churches. But when God does a work of revival, it overflows into different churches. Christians, denominations start to gather together. So when you and I pray for revival, it's not about us. God is not so much concerned about which church you go to. It's important for Him that you are added and slotted into spiritual family. But when God brings about a revival, He's not so much concerned about the name every nation. He's concerned about His kingdom to come. And that includes us as a church. So why would we not want this? Okay, so let's see by a raise of hands, whom of you would like revival to come? Okay, you sure? I'm going to read um, quickly the cost of revival and then you can vote again. So it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. So there's a cost to revival, church. And the first one is that we will humble ourselves. That we would bring ourselves into the right position to say, I am not God. I cannot be in control of my own life. I relinquish control over my, my own life and I give it into God's hands. I humble myself before the Lord. And we are so tempted to want to be in control, to want to be in charge, to want to direct what our future should look like. But coming into a posture of humility to know that you are not God and you are desperately in need of His working in your life. We bring ourselves to a posture of humility and then we seek His face. We seek His face and we ask Him for a greater revelation of who He is. The revelation of who God is needs to be alive and needs to grow in our hearts and we devote ourselves to seeking His face. Now you can come to church on a Sunday, um, but that will not satisfy your need to seek His face. It will not give you what you need to have that great awakening or that great revive, um, that great revelation of who God is. You need to go home, you need to close the, the door, whether it's the door of busyness, whether it's the door of laziness, whether it's the door of comfort, whether it's the door of forgetfulness, whether it's the door of your sin, whatever it might be, but we need to press in and seek the face of God. Where we press into His Word and we ask Him to reveal Himself to us. That, that place of intimacy, that place of presence is not cheap, friends. 
Um, I can't remember who said it, but they said that um, God does not just give himself to the casual inquirer. There's something in us that earnestly seeks the Lord. And then he says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. That's his promise. That if you are willing to close that door and to set yourself to seek his face, you will find him. And then repent. That's a good word. Repent. To turn from everything that contradicts the spirit. If you have a desire for revival, but you have no desire for repentance, you will never see revival. Revival always brings about a greater revelation of the holiness of God, and it will lead you and me into repentance, because there are areas in our lives where we are living in a contradiction to who the Holy Spirit is and what He calls us to, to be imitators, to be like Christ. And when you and I are saying, Lord, we are desiring for revival to come, we are actually saying, Lord, I'm desiring to stop um, sinning. I'm desiring to repent. I'm desiring to turn away from things that is in contradiction to your spirit. Anyone still have a desire for revival? Come on. Well, Holy Spirit, you saw those hands. <laughs> So what keeps us away? What keeps us away from really pressing in and trusting God for revival? And there's a couple of things. And when I wrote all of them down this morning, it came after a time with God where he had to speak to me. All right. So when I read this list, this is not a list for the church. It's a list for me and I'm reading it to you. Does it make sense? Okay. If it's applicable, it's applicable. If it's the shoe, you can wear it. Worldliness, loving the things of this world. When we fall into the trap of loving the things of this world, then our love for God will diminish automatically. And the moment that happens, your desire for revival will diminish. Comfort, where you find yourself in a place of comfort, your life is comfortable, the things that you are doing is comfortable. But when God calls and pours out revival, it might lead you into a place of discomfort to do something you've never done before, to trust for something that you've never trusted before, to go where you've never gone before. And that is uncomfortable. And where the Spirit of God wills to move, it is going to move you out of your comfort. Self-sufficiency, where we think we are okay. And I don't really need God that much. I know I need God. I know that I need to go to church. I know that I needed to be saved. But I'm not that bad of a person. And there's certain areas of my life where I've actually got this. I wouldn't have the audacity to say it to God. But there are certain areas where I've got this. I don't need to consult God. I don't need to bring these areas of my life before God. Because I'm not that stupid. <laughs> We fall into this lie of, of um, self-sufficiency where we think we are okay apart from God. Selfishness, where it is more about me than God, more about me than it is about His people, more about me than His world, more about my pride, more about um, my desires, my will, my life. Then there's one that's just pure laziness. You know you need to spend more time with God, but you just don't really want to get out of bed. Um, and the funny thing is, and again, this is me. If it resonates with you, that's you. The times when I wake up 
and I respond to the prompting of the Spirit to pray and spend time with God, I do experience His grace that strengthens me and keeps me. But then I lie in bed and then I don't really want to get up now. Or I know that if I want to keep my appointment with God tomorrow morning, I need to go to bed earlier. But just one more series, just one more this, just one more that, and then you get into bed and you do just... Don't, don't um, look so surprised. I know this is what all of us look like in bed, and then you have that thing on your face. And the last one, and this is maybe the hardest one, sometimes it's just a lack of love. You see, I can say a lot of good things to my wife, um, and I can portray a lot of things with my words over my wife, but my actions will always speak louder than my words. That I can declare my love for her here in front of everyone, but how I treat her at home, that speaks volumes. How I make time for her at home, how I treasure the things that's important to her, that speaks volumes. And we can utter many things with our mouths unto God. But what we do during the day, what we do at night when no one watches, that actually tells us what's happening in our hearts. And sometimes we don't have a desire for revival because there's just simply a lack of love. We don't really love God the way we ought to love Him. And then beyond that, we don't really love the world. You see, it's, it's safe for us here. <laughs> Not many of you are wondering where your next meal will come from. Not many of you are wondering whether you'll have a, a, a roof over your head tonight. Some of you are maybe thinking if you have enough fuel in your car to get home. But that's just bad planning. And sometimes we, we can have this spiritual indifference where the world around us might be dying, but we don't really care because I'm okay. I've got my own problems. And sometimes it's just simply a lack of love. The scripture from last week, Isaiah 11, 2-3, and it speaks about Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight is in the fear of the Lord. The knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Friends, if we will put our delight in the fear of the Lord, not the being afraid of God in the sense that he might smite you and lightning might fall on your face when you get outside. God, the, the smiting fell upon Jesus but there's a healthy fear of God that needs to reside in our hearts. And I promise you, when that knowledge and the fear of the Lord is in your heart, and there's a, um, a desire or a delight in the fear of the Lord, your heart will not be led astray because the fear of the Lord will capture you. It will guard you. It will navigate you. That there's a healthy fear of God that resides in our lives. I came upon a, um, a description or a, an example of uh, what revival is, and I'll read it for you. I think it's on the board, that one. 
So in the history of the church, the term revival in its most biblical sense has meant a sovereign work of God in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians has been lifted out of a spiritual indifference and worldliness into conviction of sin, earnest desires for more of Christ and His Word, boldness in witness, purity of life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, renewed commitment to missions. You feel God has moved here. Friends, I'm longing for that. I'm longing to see multitudes and multitudes of lost people encounter the great love of God that absolutely transforms their lives. I'm longing for the kingdom of God to be made so manifest in our midst that those who are lame start walking, that those who are blind start seeing that the dead will raise. I'm longing that God's spirit will be poured out and that marriages will be restored, that relationships will be restored, that those who are walking in unforgiveness and bitterness will repent and God will bring about a restoration and a reviving in the hearts of men that will lead to a change in what society looks like as God eradicates selfishness from our hearts that we will not live for ourselves but we will live for the one who died for us, that we will give that we will sacrifice, that we will sow, that we will serve. You know that the church has the opportunity or the ability to solve the orphan crisis. Not the world, the church has the ability to solve the orphan crisis in the world. I'm dreaming about a place where Christians respond to a working of God that leaves us forever changed. It continues to say, And basically, revival then is God doing among many Christians at the same time or in the same region, usually what He is doing all the time in individual Christians' lives as people get saved and individually renewed around the world. So when we think about revival in the sense of God's Spirit falling upon regions and cities and nations, It's actually just a multiplication all over of what God is doing every single day in individuals' lives. You see, when God touches a man, that man's life changes. That man's identity changes. The way he would treat his wife changes. The way he would lead his family changes. The way he would run his business changes. The way he would view his neighborhood changes. The way he would serve his community changes. His prayer life changes. The words coming from his mouth changes. When God revives one man, that one man has the ability to revive another. There's a poem that says, one man wakes, awakens another. Three awake, they can rise a whole town. That's the power of revival in the hearts of an individual. Psalm 85 verse 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And I think that's part of our prayer and that's definitely my desire that God would continually touch us, that God would continually revive us, that God would continually bring an awakening into your heart and mind that God would bring about a transformation right here. And then as we continue to respond to the working of God, we will pray. And we will call out to God that He will save the earth. We will call out to God that His Spirit will be poured out. 
We will evangelize because there's a love for the lost that rises up inside of us. And then we will wait with expectation that God will move mightily in our midst, in our city, in our nation, and the nations of the world. How long will it take? As long as it takes. But it starts with God reviving our hearts as we sit here, church, that God would bring a great awakening in each and every one of our hearts. I want to show us a quick video, um, and then we'll conclude. The United States, 1857. Slavery, rebellion, rumors of war. In three years, Americans would turn on each other and make history. But in 1857 New York City, history, the kind textbooks don't mention, was already happening. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He'd passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had. And one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men. And they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice. And when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. The world had seen nothing like it, before or since. Global revival. God started it with one man. It changed the course of history. And now, in today's world, people need to know, can history repeat itself? Can it happen again? Can it happen again? Where's Austin? On the, can I get you on the keys, please? So can it happen again? And I've got this question. Why should God send revival? Why should God send revival in our lifetime? There are people that have prayed and prayed for years and years um, that have been faithful and diligent in prayer but have not yet seen revival, but still they continue to pray um, because they are still expecting that God will move. So why should God send revival? And, and I think this is the simplicity of what I've got to share with you tonight. Why should God send revival? Because we ask Him. Because we ask Him in prayer. And if there's, if there's one thing that I want us to respond to practically, is that we would give ourselves to God in prayer. We can't dictate what revival will look like and when it will come. 
but we can pray. We can give ourselves to pray. We can bring ourselves before our God and we can ask him, we can seek his face and we can desire for his kingdom to come. On our online platform, Highfelder.online, there's a tab that says pray with us. If you want a practical application from tonight's message, on that pray with us tab, there's a WhatsApp group that you can join where we pray together and we share some of our different prayer meetings. But if we have a desire for God to move, if we have a desire for His kingdom to come, if we have a desire for revival, then it starts with us praying, giving ourselves to God and asking Him. Now here's the first step. God, would you bring about revival in my life? Would you bring about revival in my life? God, what are the things that are displeasing to you? What are the things that are in contradiction to your spirit? Would you bring about revival in my life? And then God stirs our hearts outwards. Lord, would you bring about revival in the world we live in? I want us to close our eyes. See, when Jesus said, we, we pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It is my responsibility as a Christian to figure out what my part is to play. God's desire is to bring about his kingdom, to advance his kingdom. And my, res my responsibility is to figure out what it is that God wants me to do. There is one thing that is applicable to all of us, and that is to pray. Another is to go and make disciples. That we would give ourselves, we would give of ourselves for the sake of those who might be lost. As we sit here tonight, If you are here and you know, as we've been speaking tonight, you know that there's an area where God is calling you to repent. I want you just to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to tell us what it is. But if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you tonight and you know there's an area where you need to repent, I want you just to raise your hand. That's just you acknowledging that God is speaking to you. So won't you take a moment right now and won't you just bring that before God? Whatever it is, just voice it. It's into the arms of a loving father that freely extends forgiveness and the cleansing of all unrighteousness to those who would humble themselves, seek His face and turn from their evil ways to repent. So Father, I pray right now, Lord, that as You have spoken to people, as You've stirred in their heart, Lord, to turn away from certain things, to repent, to turn to God, Lord, that right now you would bring about a refreshing. That you would bring about a restoration. 
We come and declare over their lives, Lord, by the blood of Christ, that there is victory over sin and that your will for them is not to be subject to their sinful nature. So as they surrender this to you, Lord Jesus, would you come and work a victory and would you pour out, Lord, a fresh grace over their lives that enables them to say no to sin and live godly lives in this present age. That is what your word promises us. Would you restore, would you refresh them, Lord? For some of you, there are specific people that your heart has um, almost like turned towards just during the message tonight. People that you know are far from God. And God has been laying specific people just on your heart tonight. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Again, it's just to acknowledge, for you to acknowledge that you are hearing from God. Lord, would you come and show us how to respond? Show us how to pray for these people, Lord. Help us, Lord, to open up our lives, our time, our calendars, our homes. Make us bold, Lord, for your gospel's sake. Revive the areas of insecurity, Lord. Revive the areas of shame. Revive the areas of fear. Revive the lies, Lord, that we don't know enough or we're not good enough. And come and pour out your Spirit over us, Lord. And your Word says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be your witnesses. Make us your witnesses, Lord Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would show us in this coming week how you want us to respond to what you have placed on our lives. If you are here tonight and you know that you are not in right standing with God, then I want to tell you that revival has come to your heart tonight. If you know that you are not in a good standing with God and you need to receive Him tonight, you need to lay down your life and to receive Him as your Lord and your Savior. I would love to give you an opportunity to respond tonight. If that is you, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else before we pray? I'm going to ask that we pray a very simple prayer together as a church with those who responded tonight. Just pray with me, Lord Jesus. Tonight, I give you my life. I want all of you. And in exchange, Jesus, I'm giving you all of me. All the sin, all the shame, all the guilt. But I receive tonight the forgiveness of my sin through the blood of Jesus. Lord Jesus, Tonight you wash me clean and you take hold of my life. I boldly declare 
that my life is not mine, but I give it to you. Do with it as you please. I ask that your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Help me to hear your voice. There's a a scripture in Ephesians. I think it's on the board. Ephesians 3. I think it's on the slides. I'm not sure. If you go one back. Not. Okay. I'll do something else. I want you to find someone. um, Two, two. And we're going to end with praying together for one another. Okay, you can find someone too. Too. If you are alone, then um, yeah, let's let's just find someone. There should only be one group of three, if there is a group of three. Are you claiming that group of three? Okay, all right. <laughs> I want us to pray simply just two things. Jesus said that we pray for the kingdom of God to come. Would you pray over one another that God's kingdom would come? And pray over your friend's life and say, Lord, I'm praying for your kingdom to come. And whatever the Holy Spirit is then leading you in to pray, you pray. And then I want us to pray that His kingdom will come in this city. There's those two things. Pray over one another. Lord, we ask that your kingdom will come into our lives and then we pray that your kingdom will come in this city let's pray
you are still praying, you can um, continue. So if there's one thing that I'm, that I'm praying over us as a church is that God will continue to awaken our hearts. And God will continue to awaken our hearts for Him, for more of Him. That there will be a stirring in our hearts to hunger for God, to desire Him more than anything else. Now, in my own life, I cannot cultivate such a hunger out of my own efforts. I can only respond to what God does. And as I respond, that hunger increases. But I cry out to God and say, Lord, would you stir my heart? Would you revive my heart? Would you awaken my heart? Because so often I do not respond to his promptings. And I'm so desperately in need of him, continually being faithful to awaken my heart. I pray this over us, Ephesians 3. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you, God, that you fill us up with the fullness of God.